For our scripture reading, we're turning to John's Gospel and chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1. And we're going to read the opening 18 verses. John chapter 1, beginning our reading at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And trust the Lord will bless his word to us this morning. We're all familiar with the dazzling display at a premiere of a Hollywood blockbuster. The theatre is full of glitz. The leading lady of the film arrives in radiant splendour to the delight of her adoring fans and the blinding explosion of uh, hundreds of camera phones or phone cameras going off simultaneously. 
But this is a passing and fading glory. The theatre returns to its normal, grubby, daily routine. The film in question passes into the annals of movie history. In time, the glamorous leading lady grows old and ceases to appear on the screen before she finally succumbs to the grave. But this morning, in our text, we are going to learn of a glory that never fades, a glory that is the permanent possession of the one whom John tells us is the Word who became flesh. And as we look at verse 14 of John chapter 1, we have those words, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then the part of the verse we're considering this morning, and we have seen his glory. Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, in his Gospel, wants people to know who Jesus is. He wants them to come to know him as their Lord and Saviour. And every part of his gospel account is directed to that end. And right at the beginning of the gospel, he gives us this introduction to who Jesus is. He wants us to understand that this person is the unique God-man. In words that are very straightforward, but at the same time extremely profound, he tells us the Word became flesh. The individual words in that statement are simple words, aren't they? They're not complicated, technical words, but they actually contain such truth that is profound beyond human grasp. That the one who is the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the one who with the Father and the Holy Spirit is fully God, he added to his divine nature a human nature. He became flesh. He didn't cease to be what he had always been, God. But he added to that divine nature a human nature. And he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us just as God was present in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness and in the temple. So John uses the word tabernacle 
to describe Jesus dwelling amongst us. That God's presence has invaded human existence in the person of the Word who became flesh, Jesus Christ. And then John adds, and we have seen his glory. Here's an eyewitness testimony now. That word glory, doxa, means brightness or radiance and is used in the Bible to speak of the majesty and dignity of God. For example, Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. As the Word who became flesh, the second person of the triune God, it's to be expected that he possesses glory. For he is the only Son from the Father, or the one and only who came from the Father. The word there, one and only, or only, it's a single word in the original Greek, and it carries the idea of the complete uniqueness of Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God who possesses the same glory as the Father. Not that that glory was physically visible. For the most part, it remained hidden under the complete ordinariness of Jesus' human nature. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed. Our Christmas carol says it's veiled. It's not immediately apparent. In this person, Jesus of Nazareth, you have perfect ordinariness. And at the same time, you have wondrous divinity. And the perfect ordinariness is like a veil that people can't see past to grasp the wondrous divinity of this person. There was an exception, of course, and that was on the Mount of Transfiguration. We read of it in Matthew 17, where Peter, James, and John, the author of the Gospel, were present. When the veil was pulled apart for a moment, and the wondrous divinity flooded out. For those three men to gaze upon. 
And when John says we have seen his glory, no doubt he has in mind, at least in part, that event that he was witness to. But John means something more than that here because when he talks about seeing, beholding the glory of the Word who became flesh, he talks or he uses a word that means to study intently. And so, John is saying, over time, little by little, we came to see as we studied this person, we came to see and appreciate his glory. Are there people that you know who surprised you? Your first assessment of them was way wide of the mark friend in uh, America who came to visit Halfford West when I was the pastor there and came to the church, he and his wife, lovely couple, ordinary down-to-earth couple, and uh, said to Kerry and myself, oh, you come and visit us sometime. And we thought that was just polite Americans, uh, but they meant it. And uh, we did eventually get over to visit them. And they said, you'll come and stay with us. We've got a, a, a cabin above a lake up in uh, New York State. Well, cabin. <laughs> and above a lake, well, Lake George in upstate New York is where all the rich people from New York City have holiday homes. And the cabin turned out to be spectacular. And then we discovered that Ralph had been vice president of General Electric, one of the biggest American companies. You would never have guessed it. Such a down-to-earth, humble man, and yet he'd rubbed shoulders. He told us once about meeting Margaret Thatcher and the conversation he had with her. And our assessment of him was way wide of the mark. Once we got to know him, we learned more about the man he was and is, particularly more than anything else, his godliness. And John is saying, as we got to know Jesus, as we spent time with him, so we began to see his glory. And that glory blazed on the Mount of Transfiguration. But what really revealed his glory to us, John says, is that he was full of grace 
and truth. The way he carried himself, the impression his behavior conveyed, the quality of his character. In Hebrews 1 verse 3 we read, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, which means he shares in the pure and holy character of God that is the source of God's glory. Back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses asks to see God's glory in verse 18. And God agrees to his request and causes all of his goodness to pass before Moses. And as that happens, there is a voice that proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And in the middle of that statement, we are told that God abounds in love and faithfulness. And the words used there in Exodus correspond to John's words here, grace and truth. What revealed the glory of Jesus Christ to John and the other disciples? The evident divine goodness in the Lord's love for sinful mankind. And at the same time, his total commitment to righteousness expressed in the absolute accuracy and perfection of him as the truth. The actions the words of Jesus Christ revealed the divine glory he possessed behind the veil of his ordinariness as a human being. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. This unique person. Two natures, one person. Now what I want to ask first of all this morning is, have you seen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as John and the other disciples. In John's day, others looked and studied, considered Jesus, and they were puzzled by him, by what they saw and heard, but they failed to see beyond the human ordinariness to catch a glimpse of the depths of his glory. 
In Mark 6, verses 1 to 3, we read these words. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They couldn't see beyond the veil. All they could see was the boy who became the man, having grown up amongst them, whose family members they knew. The one they thought they knew all about, and yet they knew nothing of. The problem was they had eyes but could not see. They had ears but could not hear. They were blind and deaf to who Jesus Christ is. Failed to appreciate his divine nature and glory. And the same is true today. Even amongst people who admire Jesus, who were commend his teaching and his life. But they still only see him as a religious leader to be equated with other religious leaders in history. They cannot accept that he is God and man. There are others who agree intellectually that, that Jesus is God. But they've not been overawed by the splendor and the majesty of his glory. They give a mental assent to the biblical truth concerning Jesus, but they haven't encountered him. They haven't come to know him in a personal way and have been overwhelmed by his glory. They've not experienced that. Their knowledge is purely theoretical and not personal. It's not that people must have a sort of mystical experience, a vision or a dream. What they need is to encounter Jesus in the fullness of his majesty and glory as he is found in the scriptures. They need to humbly bow before him as they see him in his splendor displayed for all to see in the word of God and repenting of their sin they must ask for forgiveness. We must all come face to face with the goodness of his grace 
appreciating his love and willingness to suffer in our place, taking the punishment of our sins. As we gaze upon his battered body on the cross, as we see him disfigured, covered in blood, as we witness him despised and rejected, yet we see the glorious beauty of his love. We must feel the weight of our own wretched sinfulness and marvel at the amazing grace and mercy that he shows as he dies our death, bearing our punishment. We must come face to face with these glorious grace and we must know the truth that he is not just the truth he declares but that he is the truth all of our sin is under the punishment of God's wrath but here is the one who is the incarnate Son of God. Here is Emmanuel, God with us. The one who shares in our humanity yet remains fully God. And the one who is therefore able to reconcile God and man. The one who tells us that it is only through him that we can be made right with God. For he is the truth. So this morning, can I ask you, have you seen his glory? Have your eyes been opened? Have your ears been unblocked? Have you heard the gospel, the good news? of his coming into this world, the word who became flesh, of his perfect life, his sinless life, that he could offer himself as the sacrifice for your sin. Do you know who he is? This babe of Bethlehem, this Christ of Calvary, do you know him? Have you seen his glory? Oh, that the Lord would open blind eyes to see and deaf ears to hear. And can I say, come, come to know him today. But what about those of us who, by God's grace, do know him? What should we draw from this verse? Well, first, we must recognize the privilege we have 
When John says, we have seen his glory, those words are full of wonder and amazement that he had been granted such a privilege. Not just on the Mount of Transfiguration, but perhaps the pinnacle of the revelation to John was there. And you have that, well, I think it's one of the greatest understatements in the scripture. <coughs> when Peter says, in the middle of that experience, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now, isn't that an understatement? Lord, it is good for us to be here. It's spectacularly brilliant for Peter, James, and John to be there. And Peter speaks in his second epistle, chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, in a way that conveys the sense of privilege that he knew he had for having been on the Mount of Transfiguration. <coughs> but you see, dear Christian friends, we share in that privilege with Peter and James and John. It's spectacularly wonderful that our eyes have been opened to see and our ears unblocked to hear. <coughs> we have seen the glorious beauty of the Savior. And the only possible response to this privilege is to praise the Lord. And as one year draws to a close and a new year begins. Let's praise the Lord that we have had the privilege of seeing his glory. What is it that Paul says <coughs> in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And let's look forward to next year, for it will be a year in which there will be more and more opportunity to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as we regularly come together around the world. And let's pray that the Holy Spirit will truly come and reveal to us the glory of the Savior. That each week, each passing Lord's Day, we will get an even greater glimpse of the glory of the Lord in the Word. That there will be special joy in gathering under the preaching of that word and in the sharing of the praise of the Lord together. Let's pray that those opportunities will be so precious to us 
that our, our hearts will long for those days. There is nothing of greater benefit or of delight to the believer than seeing the glory of the Savior and praising his name at every opportunity. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious? Oh, how blessed to call him mine. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me and the fairest of 10,000. In my blessed Lord, I see. <coughs> oh, that that will be true in 2024. And then, <coughs> we will be devoted to him. As we increasingly marvel at the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ, our hearts thrilled by him, so we become motivated to serve him with unceasing zeal. His splendor causes a response deep in our souls so that we are willing to surrender all in his service. Maybe costly, but it remains a peculiar joy to serve the glorious Lord. And perhaps the reason our zeal and fervor for the Lord are at a low ebb is that we do not meditate enough upon him in the scriptures. And we do not see his glory as we ought. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Roland Hill, a man of God of former centuries, said this, Oh, that I was all heart and soul and spirit to tell the glorious gospel of Christ to perishing multitudes. And pray, dear friends, pray that that will be true of us in the year to come that we, by God's grace, will see the glory of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, as his word is proclaimed, and we will be moved in the very depths, the very centre of our being, to want to serve him, to give our all for him, and to declare him to the perishing multitudes Oh, that that will be true. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Amen. Wonderful words.
And we have seen his glory. What a privilege. Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we want to see more. We want to love him more. We want to serve him more. We want to know him more. And we want to see others come to know him too. May that, by God's grace and power, be what lies ahead for us next year. For God's glory and our good. Amen.